Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Easter According to the Gospel of John. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Reinstated. There is a sense that comes upon all who are faithful to Christ. That sense is the realization of failure and sin, and then the deep and profound sense of unworthiness and shame that follows. When we're new in Christ and the reality of sins forgiven comes to us, we've been adopted into the family of God and we've grasped that overwhelming and liberating thought. Our sins are finally and ultimately dealt with in the cross. The Father is no longer angry with us. The righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. We've been given eternal life and nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hands. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit who has first of all drawn us to Christ and now continues to bear witness to our spirits that we belong to Christ. And furthermore, we've received the gifts of the Holy Spirit that empower us to acts of service, giving our lives for the gospel. Look, you won't hear me saying that sense ever goes away. It simply doesn't. The wonder of our salvation and all the benefits that we've received through the heart transplant that is our salvation never goes away. Indeed, the longer we're in Christ, there's a sense that these truths are being deepened. The sense of gratefulness doesn't diminish, it enlarges. But something else begins to grow in our consciousness as well. Yeah, we've been forgiven. And yes, we've received a new heart. But there is a reality that the battle with the flesh and with our tendency towards sin does not end and won't end until Christ returns. Of course, we gain victory over sin, but we also gain an understanding at just how persistent are some of the sins that we're fighting with. And then, of course, are those moments when we realize that we failed. And it is to this I wish to speak today. Have you failed Christ? Have you sinned in such a way that you now think that you can no longer be of any service to your master again? Do you think that Christ has cast you aside? Do you imagine that you can never again lift up your head in Christ's presence and rejoice with all your heart? And if that's you, today's message is for you. It's about being reinstated after we failed. And the lesson is taken from John 21, 15 to 19. So let's read the passage and we'll soon see how significant this passage really is for the growth of the global church, but also for those who have failed. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he has said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, this passage of scripture is in the last chapter of John's gospel, and it needs to be understood for what it is. 
This is the passage in which Jesus reinstates Peter. That's because Peter has made a declaration, and he made it that night in the upper room. Peter had told Jesus that he would lay down his life for him, and in response, Jesus has said that before the rooster crows, and it is morning, Peter would have already denied him three times. We find that in the end of John chapter 13. The other gospel writers tell us the same thing. Matthew 26, 33 has Peter making a bold declaration. He says, though they all fall away. And by that, he meant, you know, all the others in the apostolic band. He adds, I will never fall away. See, Peter's telling Jesus, you know, you might be right about those other guys, but you're wrong about me. You just don't understand how much I love you. And then, of course, as John describes the scene, Peter is now in the courtyard of Caiaphas, where Jesus is being held in order to ascertain what charges they're going to bring against him. And as John tells the story found in chapter 18, Peter not only denies Jesus three times, but the first time he does so, he does so in front of a servant girl. He's that afraid. He's intimidated by this girl. In the meantime, the rooster is crowed, Jesus is crucified, Peter is missing at the cross, John alone is there, Peter's courage is gone, his resolve has been proved to be a lie, and his leadership among the other apostles is now surely in question. But even so, Peter was in the room when Jesus appeared alive, you know, to all the disciples. But one has to wonder what he was thinking. I mean, up till now, nothing has been said about his cowardly act of denying his Lord. But now he's returned to Galilee where Jesus told him to go and he's gone fishing. Jesus has appeared on the shore and he called out to them. Throw the net to the other side of the boat, he calls out and they do so. And the catch of fish is so large that they're hardly able to haul it in. And they're reminded that this has happened before and the meaning has not escaped them. From now on, they are going to be catching men. But still, Peter and Jesus have not spoken about Peter's denial. How will this man lead a mission to catch men for Jesus when he had showed himself to be such a coward? Now then, they're all on the shore with Jesus. Jesus has started a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it, and he invites them to eat breakfast with him. And even here, we have to wonder what Peter was thinking. You know, John 18, 18 tells us that back when Peter was in the courtyard of the house of Caiaphas, that the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire to warm themselves. And it was there around that circle that Peter had denied Jesus. Here we are in chapter 21, Peter, again around a charcoal fire, and they're eating. And John refrains from telling us what they spoke about. But now that breakfast is over, Jesus wants to speak with Peter. And by the way, I've often wondered exactly when Jesus addressed Peter. You know, I say that because reading the passage we have before us seems to indicate that, you know, Peter is in front of the others right at breakfast, everyone standing around the fire. But if you go down to verse 20, you know, a passage we haven't read, it says that Peter, after the conversation, turned and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them as if he's listening in on the conversation as they're walking. So we're left in wondering. Did Jesus question Peter about his love at the charcoal fire, or did he bid him to go for a walk and John simply tagged along? Of course, we can't say for sure. I mean, I tend to think that Jesus bid all of them to walk with him the way that he had always done in his ministry. And he's asking Peter to walk beside him. And as they walk, first I imagine there's silence. So what's Peter thinking? Is this the time when Jesus finally addresses the greatest failure in Peter's life? And if that's what he thinks, he's right. 
And finally, in the silence, it's Jesus who speaks. And as he does, he doesn't address him as Peter, but as Simon, son of John. That, of course, is his name, but it was Jesus who gave him the new name, Peter. But in this moment, facing the one who's betrayed him, he will again be Simon. Not the rock, not the leader of the apostolic band, just Simon. And then comes the question, do you love me more than these? Now, there are a number of people who read this and they say, well, he must be referring to the boat or the net or the fish that he has caught or maybe the entire fishing enterprise. You know, do you like me or do you love me more than the business that you have? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is rather referring to the boast that Peter had recently made. You know, all these other disciples, remember Peter said, they might deny you, but I never will. And so the question must have pierced Peter's heart. Do you love me more than these men who make up the rest of the apostolic team? So what's Peter supposed to say? I notice he doesn't say, I love you more than these. See, that boast is now gone. Clearly, that wasn't true. His failure had stripped him of his pretensions. His sense of superiority is lost. So he doesn't answer the question. Rather, he simply says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. His answer is humble. And I need to stop here and point out something that many Bible readers have heard before. In the Greek language, Jesus asks, do you agapas me? And Peter answers, I philo you. And that, at least so the line goes, is the difference. Agapas in the Greek is the highest form of love, but philo is only the love of friendship. I don't think it's a good interpretation to simply press that. I mean, first of all, Jesus and Peter were not speaking to each other in Greek, They were speaking in Aramaic, and Aramaic doesn't have the kind of distinction that the Greek language has between the various kinds of love. And furthermore, by the time of the writing of the New Testament, the distinction between agapas and philo, which was a part of classical Greek, had largely disappeared. So we shouldn't read it through the lens of classical Greek. But John, who heard this interchange and translated it into Greek, knew that there was something of love that Jesus was asking of Peter, and Peter was unable to answer in the way that Jesus asked it. Jesus is asking, look, do you love me to the point that you would be willing to lay down your life for me? And Peter says, I love you, but doesn't answer it fully. And as that hangs into the air, Jesus says, feed my sheep. That's why I called you, do that. The Bible speaks to the community of believers as the body of Christ. Christians are the hands and feet, voice, and heart of God. The Spirit who unites us works through us to do His will. The ministries of Back to the Bible Canada rely on these principles. As Dr. John reminds us, the most effective missions, the most effective outreach of the church is almost never accomplished alone. Partnership is always key. We're deeply appreciative for those who join us in mission through their prayers and financial gifts. Faithfully presenting the Word of God across Canada cannot be the effort of a single part. It requires a partnership with God's people. If you wish to support the mission of this ministry or become an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Jesus and Peter continue to walk in silence. Peter has nothing to say. 
the man who always had something to say is silent. And in the silence, Jesus now speaks again. And to Peter's alarm, the question Jesus asks sounds almost like what he had asked before, except that Jesus no longer asks him if he loves him more than these. The question is now simplified, do you love me? And Peter, who now must have felt a thousand pains shoot through him, responds in exactly the same way as before. You ask me if I love you in such a way that I would never deny you. And all that I can say now is that I offer you only what I have. I do love you. Again, it's silent. And then Jesus speaks again, tend my sheep. Slightly different than the first statement, which was feed my sheep. You know, to feed them is to teach them. To tend them is to care for them. You know, early on, as recorded in John chapter 10, Jesus said that the wolf comes to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. But the good shepherd would never run away when the sheep were in trouble. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter now. I'm calling you to do everything a shepherd would do for his sheep. Feed my sheep, care for my sheep in every way that they need care. Whatever the sheep need, that is what you are required to do for them. Peter doesn't respond at all. After all, what can the man say who has denied the Lord? He's silent, and the two men continue to walk. The other six are trailing behind. They also don't say a word. Something earth-shattering is going on, and the moment is too holy to speak at all. And then in the silence, Jesus speaks one more time. And by now, this is the most painful thing that Peter can hear. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here I make mention that up till now, Jesus has been asking, Simon, do you agapas me? That is, do you love me to the point of death so that you will never deny me? And Peter in agony has been answering, I follow you. But now on this third occasion, all that Jesus asks him, Peter, do you follow me? I mean, think of the sequence. First, do you love me unto death more than these men? And Peter knows that he doesn't love him unto death more than these men, but he loves him. And so Peter can't affirm everything that Jesus is asking of him. He says, I have affection for you, no more than that. And John, who's listening, says, by now, when Jesus asked it the third time, Peter is grieved. See, to grieve is to weep. Peter's heart is breaking. I mean, what can he say? All his boasting is gone. And Jesus himself is not even asking him now if he loves him ultimately, but rather, do you really have affection for me? In this moment, Peter, speaking out of the depths of grief, can only say, Lord, you know everything. Nothing about my affection for you is hidden from you. You know if the bar is set now as low as it is, I still have love for you. And Jesus, rather than responding to Peter's grief by providing him with assurance, simply says what he told him before, feed my sheep. Now, before we go on, you've noticed something. Indeed, you should have been noticing that Peter has noticed it as well. You know, on that night, as he was in the courtyard of the house of the high priest, he had been asked on three occasions, hey, are you associated with Jesus? And three times he said, I am not. And now as they walk on the shores of the Sea of Galilee again, Three times, do you love me? And unlike before, even though his failure was painfully obvious, Peter didn't say, I guess my actions prove that I don't love you. Instead, three times he says, I love you. And more than that, three times also, as often as the denial, Jesus repeats the command. 
I called you in the first place to lead and teach and care for my followers after I am gone. That command, Peter, it still stands. Now then, we need to stop here and consider what Jesus is doing and what all this has to say to us. See, Jesus is exposing Peter's love for him. He knows that Peter does love him, but it's not sufficient. But it doesn't mean that he discounts the love. Look, all of us who love Christ, when we're examined by Christ, will be also found with inadequate love. We do not love him as we should, and neither is our love for him adequate to the calling that we have received from him. I mean, think of it in terms of Peter. He's being called to bring the gospel to the whole world, and Jesus has already warned him as well as the others that they would not be treated well. You see, in John 15, verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so Peter is being called upon to feed and tend Jesus' sheep. But Jesus has already told him that when you do so, it's going to mean that you're going to be treated exactly as I was. But Peter, in his denial of Jesus, has already shown that his love for Jesus is insufficient for that task. And in each of the three questions, Jesus lowers the bar. Do you love me more than these? That is, is your love what you said it was? And the answer is no, it was not. Do you love me enough to pay any sacrifice? And again, the answer is no, it's not. And then finally, do you have strong affections and are you inclined to me so that you love me fully? And the answer is yes, I do. See, when that's done, with this less than fully developed love, is Peter ready for the task that Christ has called him to? Now let's move to the end of our text. Jesus then begins with the words, truly, truly, amen, amen. You know, another way of translating that would be to say, Peter, I'm going to tell you something now, most solemnly. You're going to want to pay attention to every word I now tell you. Remember it. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. And by the way, you know, those words indicate that it's likely that by now Peter is well into his adulthood. He's supposed to remember his former years. When you were young, you pretty much did what you wanted to do. Very good. But when you're old, Peter, someone else is going to dress you, and you'll be taken to some place where you don't want to go. Now, if you're not careful, you might think that all that Jesus is doing here is telling him that in the, you know, in the natural process of aging, your body is going to be slowly breaking down, and you're going to need the care of others, and they might take you to places that you won't actually appreciate. Now, by the way, if you want evidence of how it goes in our lives, I mean, you might think about some of the elderly who are moved into care homes, sometimes, you know, for their own good, but sometimes also in spite of their objections. And if that's what Jesus is saying, well, then we might wonder what this has to do with the question of whether Peter loves Jesus. But remember, John is writing this down. He's, he's telling us of what he witnessed. He heard the interchange between Jesus and Peter. And by the time John writes it, well, Peter's already died. John simply says that Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. John says, look, I know what Jesus meant. Peter would stretch out his hands and someone would take him where he didn't want to go. And we know from history that Peter was stretched out onto a cross. He was bound and crucified. We also know that in the end, he requested that he be crucified upside down for he thought he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus. But that still brings us back to what Jesus told Peter. See, let me try, if I can, to put Jesus, 
meaning into my own words. I think Jesus was saying, Peter, you've come to the realization that your love for me is lacking, that it's not what it should be, that it's insufficient for the task that I have given you to make all nations into disciples. You've been called upon to pay a price that is greater than your love can pay. But Peter, I have decreed that you will love me to the point of death. That is to say, you will love me and do my will, even though it will cost you everything. You won't deny me. So how's that possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus has decreed that it should be thus. It's possible because the same Jesus who fed the multitude and who walked on water and who commanded nature and who healed the sick and raised the dead and who commanded demons to obey him, indeed, the Jesus who defeated death has also decreed that Peter should love Jesus unto the end, even unto the sacrifice of his life. And by this decree, Jesus restores Peter. And Peter would never forget, you know, his calling to bring leadership to the apostolic band in the worldwide proclamation of the gospel, his leadership would succeed because Jesus had decreed it. So what do you think that means for us? Especially for us who have at times in our lives failed our Lord, who at times have sinned, who at times have not had the kind of love for Christ that we ought to have. The word from Jesus to all who are less than perfect, to all who have sinned, but who still love him, is that he has decreed that we should love him to the end and that we should fulfill the ministry that he has called us to do. And so if you failed, you see how it is that Jesus also restores you, not by your efforts, but because he has decreed that you should be restored. Thanks so much, John. You know, I've met believers, and I'm sure you have, who've struggled when they experience their love or passion for Christ being deficient. How would you direct them? Yeah, first of all, tell them they're absolutely right about that. They are deficient in every way, and as long as they keep their eyes on themselves and their own deficiency, uh, they're never going to get there. What they need to do is, for every one look at themselves, take another ten looks at the cross and what Christ has accomplished and his mercy and his grace and his willingness to restore and then rejoice that Jesus loves us so much he restores us fully. And when we do that, we're not taken up in ourselves but in Christ. That's where victory is found. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. This month on Back to the Bible Canada, we express gratitude to our monthly partners and earnestly celebrate all those who privilege this ministry with their gracious support every month. Your consistent gift ensures Bible teaching and engagement resources continue to be offered through a wide variety of mediums across Canada and around the globe. We invite you to join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. And in so doing, you'll not only help to sustain and grow this ministry, but in appreciation each year, you'll receive our annual scripture calendar, a copy of an annual CD series, and an exclusive 15% discount on all of our Bible teaching and engagement resources. 
For more information on becoming an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner or to join, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.